0: There's a word from the Lord in the Gospel of John. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading with the first verse from the New King James Version. That first verse of the third chapter of the Gospel of John, listen to what God's word says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. of the Spirit, verse seven. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, and that's what I want to preach about today. You must be born again. I believe it was September the eighth in nineteen ninety-eight when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were having this this home home run race. Both of them were on pace to break Roger Maris's home run, single home run, uh, how many home runs you can hit in one single season was 61. And Mark McGuire, by this time, already had 61. They're playing against the Cubs, and he's trying to hit 62. And he does. He gets to the, to the plate, and he gets a great swing. And Mark McGuire hits the ball, and it's headed towards the, the, the foul the, on the side of the pole. But somehow it makes a line drive straight over the fence. And he's jogging down the first base trying to see if it's going to go foul over the fence. It goes over the fence. He's so excited. He sees the first base coach jumping up and down. He just broke the record, 62. And then Mark McGuire's jumping up and down. He runs up on his coach and he hugs him. They embrace. And then he misses first base. And his first base coach is pointing there and telling him, You got to touch first base. Mark McGuire comes back, touches first base, then second, third, comes home. The reason why that's so significant is even though the ball went over the fence, it doesn't count as a home run unless you touch each base. So, had he missed first base, then the Cubs could have appealed the home run. And somebody asked the general manager for the Cubs, If Mark McGuire had missed first base, if he didn't come back and touch first, would you appeal that home run? Because then it wouldn't have counted. He wouldn't have got the 62. He wouldn't have had the record. And the general manager said, yes, I would have appealed it. He said, you can't miss first base. This is is a game of integrity. He said, if he misses first base, it doesn't count. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, that... Jesus is having this encounter with Nicodemus and he's speaking to Nicodemus about salvation, about this radical transformation, this drastic change that can happen in each person's life. And that the change is so drastic, is so radical that even when Jesus goes to describe it, he describes it as a new birth. And this is a, this is about salvation and this new birth that Jesus is talking about in our walk with God, in the right relationship we have with God, this is first base. See some of us, we like coming to church. We like singing gospel songs. We get that little notification of a scripture verse on our smart device every morning. So we start our day off reading that verse and we like hearing sermons preached. But the issue is, have you been born again? Have you been saved? Do you, have you accepted Christ? And the only way for that to happen is for you to believe Jesus down the cross, God raised him from the dead and receive him by faith because that's first base. And no matter how you try to treat others the way you want to be treated and you trying to keep the commandments, if, if you're not born again, you miss first base. And the rest of that's not going to count. I wish y'all were getting this today. Jesus said, you must be born again. And this encounter that he has with Nicodemus is so important for us to grasp this because we want to make sure that we're doing more than going through the motions of churchannity. We want to make sure that we really are part of Christianity that we have experienced this radical fundamental change that is salvation, that Jesus calls new birth. And even now while I'm preaching, somebody's thinking, yeah, pastor's right. I I do need to turn over a new leaf. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm talking about turning over the whole tree. (laughs) If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. And when we look at this encounter of Jesus with Nicodemus, one of the things that we learn is the urgency of salvation, how urgent it is for us to become Christians, that this is not something that needs to be put off for tomorrow. This is what we ought to be doing right now. So many of us, when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to what we ought to be doing with God, we put God off for tomorrow. And then we talk about getting around to that next week, next Sunday, next month, next year, next time, and it ought to be done right now. Pastor, where are you getting that from out of John 3? The text says that Nicodemus came to to Jesus by night. I know some people say he came by night because he wanted to have this one-on-one encounter with Jesus. It was hard to get with Jesus one-on-one in the daytime. The crowds would cling to Christ. The multitudes were moved with the Messiah. It's hard to get that one-on-one. That's why you saw Zacchaeus up in a tree because the crowd was so much, he was just trying to get a look at Jesus. So some say Nicodemus came by night because he wanted to be alone with Jesus. And I wish I had time to talk about how important that alone time with Jesus is. But then others say he came by night because he was afraid. He was scared as to what the other uh, Pharisees were going to say. He's a Pharisee. That is a religious sect, a religious group that he was a part of, and they couldn't stand Jesus. And they would dog anybody they thought was with Jesus. So, uh, some were talking about he was scared to go in the daytime because he didn't want people to think he had something with Jesus. And so, he used the cloak of darkness to hide him so he could keep his position with the Sanhedrin council. And I'm not saying he didn't want to be alone with Jesus. I'm not saying he wasn't afraid. But but maybe he came to Jesus by night because this is something that just couldn't wait till morning. Maybe Nicodemus saw the urgency of what I need from Jesus and I can't put this off to tomorrow. I got to do this right now. He had had a long day at the Sanhedrin Council. He would, they were dealing with the affairs of Israel, and he had worked all day. He gets home, and he spends some time with his wife and with his children, and then he watches the Jerusalem late news. And then he takes that bath, and he jumps into that uh, to the bed with his pajamas on and wraps himself up in the blanket. And he's thinking that tomorrow, I'm going to find Jesus. I got some questions for Jesus about God. There's some things I need to get cleared up about theology. So he's thinking that tomorrow, I I'm going to find Jesus. And then as he was tossing and turning in the bed, thinking about what he needed from Jesus, he said, wait a minute. This is something that can't wait till tomorrow. This is too vital and significant. And the text says he came to Jesus that night because he couldn't put this off to tomorrow. Now some of us, we procrastinate and hesitate when it comes to God. It's talking about what we're going to do next Sunday and what we're going to do next month and next week and next year and the next time the church comes together. No, y'all, whatever you're going to do for God, you need to do it right now. I mean, if if, if you're going to be saved, you need to be saved now. If you're going to be born again, you need to be born again now. If you're going to recommit your life to Christ, then recommit your life to Christ. Do it right now. If you're going to get involved in ministry, then get involved in ministry now. If you're going to be more generous, start being generous now. Stop putting God off to next time, and you know you ought to be doing it right now. Yo, whatever we do in this right now impacts our not yet. If you want to make sure your not yet is right, (laughs) then get your right now right. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it. Yeah, it's only just a minute, but eternity is in it. What we do with our right now will determine our not yet. He said, "I can't put this off for tomorrow. I got to see Jesus right now." My friend Maurice Watson, uh, actually pals, Grace say he passes in D.C. He went back to Little Rock, where it all started with him. And he gave me this illustration years ago, and I love this illustration. I use it all the time. It's about uh, Satan calling a business meeting in hell. And when Satan called the business meeting in hell, he called all the imps and the demons in so that they can discuss the new business. And the new business was how to get humanity to turn their back on God. And so one of the demons said, I know how to get humanity to turn their back on God. Let's just tell them that there is no God. And when we tell them and convince them there is no God, they'll become atheists, and then they'll turn their back on God. And Satan said, that's not going to work, because the Bible already says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so another demon said, no, I know how to get humanity to turn their back on God. Let's bring problems and pain and suffering and disease and poverty into their life. And once we bring all that into their life, they'll turn their back on God. And Satan said, I used to think that'll work too. I tried that on that. I tried that on Job. I gave Job sickness from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. I had Job lose all his money. He went from prosperity to poverty. I had his marriage messed up and I had his children killed and all the pain that he went through in life. And Job was still saying, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him all the days of my appointed time. I'm gonna wait till my change comes, the Lord God gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That won't work, Satan said. So finally, one of the demons said, I know how to get humanity to turn their back on God. Let's tell them that there is a God and that they need this God in their life. Let's tell them they need Christ, that they need to be saved. They need a connection with the church. They need a connection with the kingdom of God. Let's tell them they need all of that. But tell them to do it, The next time, he made the motion, another demon seconded and then they carried it unanimously. That's the plan and the scheme that the enemy uses to convince us, yes, you need God. Yes, you need Jesus. You need salvation. You need the church. You need to serve. You need to give. We're convinced. But the plan that they put in place is do it next time. Somebody, right now, in just a few minutes, I'm extending an invitation to Christian discipleship. Thank God somebody's immediately going to give their life to Christ. And then if somebody's going to be going, well, next time we get together, next Sunday, next month, who promised you next Sunday? On, who told you you had next month? Who told you you'll be around next year? One thing you do know is that you have right now. That's why God said, the day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. That's why Jesus told Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. It's not time to put God off. It's time to do whatever you're going to do for God. Do it right now. There's an urgency about salvation. Then John 3 teaches us, there's a necessity about salvation. Listen to the terminology that Jesus uses. You must be born again. And this is a man that was very religious. He's a part of, of the Pharisee. You can't get more religious than the Pharisees. They were so strict that even after they took the laws of God from the scripture, they added more restriction and more law laws onto them. He's a Pharisee. And Jesus told this religious man, You might be religious, but that don't make you righteous. You need to be born again. You're, Religious means that you ascribe to the pursuit of a special interest or habit. Religious means you do something with regularity. Religious means you do it all the time. So you come to church regularly, you're religious. You sing in the choir on the praise team, you're religious. You're a greeter, you're an usher, and you show up all the time, you're religious. But just because you're religious doesn't make you righteous. What it means to be righteous is to be in a right relationship with God. When you read Scripture and you see righteous, that's what righteous means, to be, a, to be in a right relationship with God. And the only way to do that in this season is to believe Jesus died on the cross, believe God raised him from the dead, receive him by faith. That's what it means to be born again. That's what he's telling him, this religious man that it's not enough just to be religious. And this was a rich man, Uh, that that Nicodemus is wealthy, he's affluent. And some of us, once we start making a certain amount of money, we think we don't even need Jesus anymore because we got a car and a house and some clothes and some money and and some stocks and bonds. And no, you need to be born again. That ain't going to be enough. This world is too big for you to just make it off resources. You need a right relationship with Jesus. And this is a man who is a, a ruler of his time. He has rank and reputation, a good report. He's on the Sanhedrin council. Everybody knows who he is. This, that Sanhedrin council, that's that social, political, religious group that, that judges the affairs of Israel. And Nicodemus is a part of that. And Jesus is saying, even though you've reached the peak of your profession, you still need to be born again. Y'all stop trying to make it in this life without Jesus. There is the need, the necessity for salvation. You got to touch first base because if you don't, verse 3 says that you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says unless somebody is born again, you can't even see the kingdom. See the kingdom? Yeah, perceive it. You can't even understand it. That, one of the, A part of the vision of the Eastern Star Church is evangelism. We're the place where Jesus is exalted. We want people to be saved. We want people to become Christians. So we witness. When the Spirit of God came upon us, we became witnesses unto Jesus. That's a part of the vision of Eastern Star Church. And so we witness to our family and friends and we tell them about Jesus and you need to be saved and coworkers and neighbors and all of that. And and some of y'all know that some of them look right back at us like they don't know what we're talking about that they can't see it, they can't understand it, they can't perceive it because Jesus says they can't until they are born again. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I addressed this last week because I I looked in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 and it said, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither has it into the heart of humanity what God has in store for them, but the Holy Spirit, He has revealed it. Because the Holy Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And the Holy Spirit reveals who God is and what God has for us. But you only get him when you are born again. If you're not born again, you can't see it. You can't understand it. You can't perceive it. Verse 5 says you need to be born again. Because Jesus says if you're not born again, you can't enter into the kingdom. You can't even get in the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom, the the king's domain. It is the rule, the reign, and the righteousness of God. And you can't get in unless you're born again. Some people think, well, you know, you you witness to them, tell them about Jesus, you need to be saved. They say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I do try to live by the Ten Commandments. Well, I know you're missing it. (laughs) Ain't none of us kept all the commandments. And the Bible says that you break one, you broke all 10 of them. And then others say, well, I just try to live my, I'm not a Christian, but I try to live my life by treating people the way I want to be treated. That's a great philosophy of life, but it ain't enough. And some people are generous, not Christian, but generous in how they they give. But that ain't going to get you in. Some trying to live right, that ain't going to get you in. Because how did you get into this world that we call the scheme of things? How did you get into this world? Did you pay somebody to get in here? Did you keep commandments to get here? Did did you live right to get here? No. You were born into this world. And that's the way you're going to get into the kingdom of God, not by paying to get in, not by keeping the laws, not by keeping the commandments. The only way you can get in is you got to be born again. Jesus told a rich young ruler, he's rich. He got his money early in his life and he's ruling, he's still working, he's doing his thing, and he's religious, he comes up on Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus and this young man are talking about the commandments, and they're talking about Scripture and eternal life. And then Jesus said, well, if you really want to follow, you really want to be have this eternal life, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. man walked away, he missed out on it. But Jesus did tell him this, you're not far from the kingdom. Jesus heard him talking about scripture eternal light, talking about living his life a certain way and Jesus said you're not far from the kingdom but if you're not far from the kingdom it means you're close but you're not in All right. Come on, you're in the kingdom neighborhood you got your hand on the kingdom doorknob you hanging around on the kingdom porch but you are not in the kingdom I know you come to church. I know you like hearing me preach. I like the fact you like to hear me preach. I know you like the gospel songs that are sung. I know you like getting that little verse in your smart device every morning, and all of that is wonderful. That means you're not far from the kingdom. You're in the kingdom neighborhood. You're on the kingdom doorstep. You got your hand on the kingdom door now, but the only way to get in, you must be born again. There is an urgency about this. Stop putting God off. There's a necessity to this. It's the only way you can get into the kingdom. And then I'm done. There's the possibility of it happening. Because Nicodemus heard Jesus talking all of that. And Nicodemus said, how can somebody who's old be born again? Nicodemus said, how can somebody who's old be born? Can they enter the second time into their mother's womb? and be born and when i I read this years ago when i first started reading it i was thinking that nicodemus was missing what jesus was saying here is jesus speaking in the spiritual realm about being born again this radical transformation that can happen in your life it is so drastic until even jesus calls it a new birth he's speaking in the spiritual realm and then here is nicodemus taking it literally this crude literalism When somebody's old, to get back in their mother's womb, to be born again, I thought he was missing what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking in the spiritual. He's speaking in the natural, but that's not what's taking place here. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that Nicodemus knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. He knows what he means about being born again, about this radical change, this transformation. But Nicodemus is trying to figure out the possibility of it happening. How can somebody who's old be born again? How can somebody whose sins have been cemented by time change? How can somebody who's done wrong for so long be transformed? How can somebody who has messed up for years get it right? He knew the necessity of salvation, He just didn't know the possibility of it happening for him. Sociologists and psychologists suggest that by the time a person is 30 years old, they're already set in their ways. And most of us can say amen to that. By the time they're 30, they're set in their ways. Nicodemus wants to know how can somebody who is set in their ways of sin, who's been doing wrong week after week and month after month and year after year, it is cemented in their life. How in the world can you change now? Not the necessity of it. I know I need to be born again. I just want to know the possibility of it. How can it happen? And Jesus tells him, you can't do it on your own. There are people that we witness to, and even listening to me right now, somebody is thinking, as soon as I get myself together, then I'll come and give my life to Jesus. If you could get yourself together on your own, wouldn't you have already done that by now? You can't get it on your own. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. How does it happen? You gotta be, Jesus says, you gotta be born of the water and the Spirit. Actually, the water is actually a representation for God's Holy Spirit. Jesus talked, well, I'm going to preach that on next week about the Holy Spirit coming inside of you, welling up inside of you, that water welling that you'll never have to thirst again. And so here he's talking about being born of the water. The water represents purification of God's Holy Spirit because that sin has made us dirty. And now Jesus is saying, you got to be born of the Spirit, that purification, you need to be clean. But how can I be clean when I've been dirty this long? This same John wrote 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess with our sins, if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness." You want to know how to do it? Confess your sin. And when that takes place, God forgives you. He doesn't just forgive you, then he cleanses you. If you went to Sunday school, then you would know how to sing, what can wash away my sin? I know I got a witness now. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You got to be born of the water. That's purification and the spirit. That is power, not your power. But the power of God's Holy Spirit is what brings the change in our lives. Jesus said that you hear, he uses he uses wind as an illustration to show this, wind. He says that, that you can't see the wind, so you don't know where the wind came from. You don't know where the wind is going. Uh, so is everybody born of the Spirit. He says you can't see the wind, but you can hear the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can feel the wind. Can't see the wind, but when the wind blows, even though you can't see it, you know that there's evidence that exists. This is an unseen reality. It's an illustration about God's Holy Spirit because some people say they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the Spirit because they can't see Him. You can't see the wind, but you believe in that that's an unseen reality. No, I cannot see the Holy Spirit, but I can hear Him. I cannot see the Holy Spirit, but I can feel Him. I cannot see the Holy Spirit, but when that Spirit moves in my life, there's evidence that the Holy Spirit is real. You got to be born of the Spirit. Then Jesus gets down to verse 14, showing Nicodemus how to be saved. He says, the same way that Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. That's how the Son of Man must be lifted. And then it says in verse 15, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Then if you keep reading, we get to our favorite verse, all of our favorite verse. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. So now you have the Holy Spirit and the Son of God that works to get us saved. The Holy Spirit works by convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand you need to stop sinning, you need to be right with God, and you're going to be judged for everything you say, think, all the stuff that you do. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And then Jesus said, just like Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up. So the salvation comes in the Son. Y'all, this is a reference to Jesus dying on the cross. They raised the cross. That's what Jesus died on for our sin. Because the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the reason we are able to get to first base, to get saved, is because Jesus already paid the penalty for our sin. He died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. When you believe that in your heart, confess it with your mouth, then you become saved. Some people think that they've sinned so much and strayed so far and they've been so low down that God doesn't want to have anything to do with them. You can't sin so much to make God stop loving you. You you can't be so low down or stray so far that the love of God can't bring you back to him. I wanted to show you all this image of Nettie. Nettie is this old dog. Nettie is 15 years old. That's old for a dog and Nettie had gotten sick and she gotten old and she couldn't move around the way she used to. And so uh, her owners were going to have her euthanized. They were going, the reporter said, have her put down. Y'all know we, we scared to talk about dying. So we use other language. They were going to put Nettie down. So they take her to the vet. They've had her for 15 years. She doesn't get around the way she used to. She's sick and we don't, we don't want her being in all this pain at the end of her life. And so the vet said, well, we have other options. There are other things that you can do. We can get medicine, there's treatment, there are ways that she can live the twilight of her life and, and live it in, in a peaceful way, in a good way. And they said, no, we don't want to take any chances. We, we want to put her down. And so the vet, who loves all animals because she's a veterinarian, she goes on her social media to let everybody know what the situation with Nettie, this 15 year old old dog is and thousands of people were interested in adopting Nettie. they wanted to see what it would take one woman in particular this was all in pittsburgh 40, 40 miles outside of pittsburgh another vet she and her husband their purpose in life is to adopt old dogs so they heard this story they said We need to go down and check this out. They went down, drove 40 miles. They said, no, you don't have to put her down. We will adopt Nettie. And they take Nettie home. This is another vet. She gives her some medicine. She gives her treatment. Things that she's now living with dogs her age. And she's living the good life. Matter of fact, here's here's what the headline read about Nettie. Old dog that should have been put down is living her best life. Now, if we'll do that for an old dog that we don't even know, how much more shall our heavenly father? Yes, we sin. Yes, we deserve to be put down. But isn't it good to know that Jesus died on the cross so that we might be saved? And some of us are already saved. We're already Christians. But some of us are going right back to the life we used to live. That's why when you hear preachers, i talking about Apostasy. That's what that is. It's a falling away, a turning away from God. And after all God has done for us, and then some of us are going right back to the life we came from. Yeah, you need to be born again, but you you need to live like you are born again. Okay, I got five amens. I said, (laughs) you need to live like you've been born again. (laughs) Linda Darby, Linda Darby, uh, got arrested in Indianapolis back in 1970. And um, she ended up having to serve a life sentence in 1970. And so she's at the Indiana, she was at the Indiana Women's Prison. And two years later, she had a life sentence, two years later, she broke out. Indiana Women's Prison at the time had this 10-foot barbed wire fence. And later on, she would talk about how she got cut and bruised and bleeding and all of that, but she made it over the fence as she got free. The authorities wasn't sweating any of that. They said it's not going to be an issue because when somebody breaks out of prison and breaks out of jail, two days later, at the most, they write back where they came from. So she broke out in 1972, and they couldn't find her in two days. <laughs> they couldn't find her in two years. They couldn't find her in 20 years. Thirty-five years went by. They didn't know what was going on with Linda Darby. Linda Darby had moved to Tennessee in a small town near the border of Alabama. She got remarried, got a, her, changed her name, had children, and got eight grandchildren. And for 35 years, she was operating in freedom. Now, they did find after 35 years, but here's what the authority said. They said, the reason why... She was able to do that and to remain free like that is because she changed her name, changed her living environment, and changed her association. <laughs> Preacher, why are you telling us this? Because some of y'all been set free, but it looked like you get ready to go back after two days. No, <laughs> Jesus said in Revelation, I'll give you a new name. Paul said, be ye separate, come out from among them. You need to change your association and change your living environment. Grandma said, the places I used to go, I don't go there anymore because I want to stay in the freedom that God has offered. I got to close. I got to close. But I want to close this like my childhood pastor used to preach this. And when my childhood pastor used to preach, Jesus talking about as, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were going from Egypt to Canaan, 40 years in the wilderness. Well, during that time, they had sinned, become disobedient to God, and because of that sin, God allowed poisonous snakes to bite them. Now they got poison in their bloodstream. They're getting ready to die. The wages of sin is death. You sin, now you got poison in your bloodstream, getting ready to die. Then God brought Moses the plan for salvation that they might be saved. It was to take a bronze serpent, hold the serpent up. Everybody who looked at the serpent by faith would be saved. Even though they sinned and deserve to die, they'll be saved. Everybody that doesn't look at this bronze serpent by faith are not going to be saved. They're going to die. Yo, they didn't die because of sin and being bitten by poisonous snakes. They died because they wouldn't receive by faith God's plan for salvation. The ones that were saved, they weren't saved because they changed their life and did everything right. They're saved because they put their faith in God's plan for salvation. They lifted that serpent. They believed it. Jesus said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Yo, the only reason people go to heaven, it's only one reason folk go to heaven. That's because they receive Jesus by faith. They put their faith in God's plan for salvation. Only reason people miss heaven, only one. Not because of sin, but because you have not received God's plan for salvation by faith. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I wish I had somebody. Here's what my childhood pastor said. On that Thursday, they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they came to arrest him, they took him to Pilate's Judgment Hall and they judged Jesus. They whipped him all night long. And then the next morning, now Jesus is on his way up to Calvary. They took a fake crown of thorns and pressed it into his head. And when he was sweating, then blood was coming down because they were teasing him about being the king of the Jews. As he's going up Calvary's hill, he begins to buckle under the weight of the cross. This black man from Sereni comes out of the crowd. Y'all do know Sereni is black Africa. A black African man came out, helped Jesus carry his cross up the hill. Stop listening to the lie that black people first got introduced to Christianity in the 17th century in America in slavery. No, it was a black African that helped carry the cross up the hill. You can't get any closer to Christianity than the cross on Calvary's hill. When they got the cross up there, my pastor said they laid the cross down. Then they took Jesus and they put him on that cross. And they took nails. And they nailed it into the hand of Jesus. And they nailed the other hand to the cross. Then they took a spike and they took Jesus' feet and they took a spike and they nailed Jesus' feet to the cross. Then those same Roman soldiers grabbed the rope and they began to raise the cross. They began to lift up Jesus. And my childhood pastor said he could hear the angels from the balcony of heaven saying, you getting ready to mess up now. I know you arrested him, but you're getting ready to mess up now. I know you lied on him, but you're getting ready to mess up now. I know you nailed his hands and his feet, but you're getting ready to mess up now because Jesus said, if I be lifted up from this earth, I'll draw all men and women under me. Can I get a witness in here? Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where from cleansing, from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied, singing glory to his name. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Can I get a witness here? Jesus so sweetly abides within there at the cross where he took me in. Somebody shout glory. I said shout glory. To his name, you need to be born again.